Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Did you know that over 95% of all businesses fail within the first 10 years? By listening in to what Bob's guests have to say, plus direction from Bob Pritchard himself, it's our intention that you won't be among those statistics. Now, here's your host, Bob Pritchard. Hello, world. Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. This is the show that champions entrepreneurs and startups and early stage businesses. In fact, all small businesses right across the world. And this is heard right around the world, this program. And uh, I want to um, give a heartfelt thanks to all of our listeners for making us the number one business radio show in the world for entrepreneurs. Now, last week I discussed some of the questions that have been raised by our listeners in literally tens of thousands of emails that we've received from over 60 countries. Today, I'll continue to discuss some of the most common questions that you have asked me. Before I do that, last Saturday, I gave a presentation to a group of brilliant entrepreneurs, some of the top entrepreneurs and media people in California. And many of them are in the technology space. And I discussed how, you know, one of the most important considerations when you're selling or when you're trying to get investment into your business or whether you're trying to decide what to invest in or even trying to determine who might be a great joint venture partner, it's emotion. Emotion is incredibly important if you want to get a deal. And I discussed in this presentation how every decision, irrespective of what it is, is initially made emotionally and then you justify it pragmatically. And it doesn't matter whether it's business to business or whether it's business to consumer. The same thing applies. Unless you make an emotional connection with whoever it is you're selling to, you're much less likely to make a good decision or get a great result. Now, this could be selling a product in a supermarket. And if you think about it, you look at Johnson & Johnson. Johnson & Johnson have developed a great relationship with their customers by creating this loving mother-child relationship. So while their competitors are out there saying, hey, yeah, but we're more absorbent, people look at it and say, well, it's more important for me to have a loving relationship with my child than it is to have something that's extra absorbent. And so they own the category. It's emotion. And if you look at all of the other advertisements that are out there one way or another it's emotion if you're drinking coke you are going to have fun what a coke sell a black liquid made out of sugar no they sell fun and everybody wants to have fun so and if you're selling a product and you make that emotional connection You'll not only dramatically increase your sales and your customer loyalty and repeat sales 
and word of mouth, but you'll be able to cut your marketing costs because you're going to get great word of mouth, which is going to bring people to buy your product without you having to spend to get them. And if you're going into a face-to-face meeting to pitch a product, or maybe you're trying to get investment, you should know everything you possibly can about the person you're pitching to in order to get in there and initially develop a rapport with them. And these days, you've got the advantage of being able to search them on LinkedIn, Facebook, all the other social media sites, and you can find out a hell of a lot about them before you go into the meeting, and you can use that to create a great relationship before you get into trying to sell them something, and it makes an enormous difference. And after the presentation, I received an email from Clifton Smith, who told me about a book by Antonio Damasio, the professor of neuroscience at USC, called Descartes' Error. And Damasio discovered that people who have damaged frontal lobes, which is the emotional part of the brain, while maintaining a high IQ and motor functions and being able to create long lists of pros and cons about the situation, were unable to make choices and decisions. Damasio concludes that the act of deciding is a process direct directly linked to emotion. And uh, thanks, Clifton, because from all the evidence I've ever seen, there is no doubt that all decisions are initially made emotionally. It doesn't matter what they are. And if you're not doing the work to enable you to create that emotional bond, you're likely to be highly unsuccessful. Now to the biggest issues that our entrepreneurial listeners have told us that they face in business. Last week, we discussed the difficulty in trying to cover all of the different functions that a business needs to address to be successful, particularly when you're a one or a two-man band, and how most entrepreneurs that fail in business are usually initially very confident that they can do most things well then they find they can't. Now, running a successful business is really difficult. And it's the inability to run a business that causes 97% of, it's actually 74% of the 97% of all businesses that fail to fail. So 74% of all businesses fail because of, not because they haven't got a great product, not because they haven't got great service, not because of any of that. They fail because they are unable to run a business. Last week, we also discussed how entrepreneurs found it difficult to develop their products and continue to raise money, whether it be from investors or from sales, at the same time. Many citing the amount of time that it really takes to pitch investors or put marketing strategies in place to sell a product. They concluded that generating revenue from any source sufficient to run their business is more than a full-time job on its own. One entrepreneur, Jonathan Tresize, said to me in an email, 
Having begun three successful startups in the past three years, the three issues that I believe are by far the most important are cash flow, cash flow, and cash flow. I have worked with literally dozens of entrepreneurs and almost every one of them has failed because they didn't recognize that their real business is marketing and sales. They all thought that being good at what they do is all that matters. Absolutely and unquestionably, they are wrong. You have to be good at marketing and and create sales, otherwise you will fail too. That's great advice, Jonathan. I could not agree with you more. It's critical for all entrepreneurs to realize that despite how brilliant their project might be, the one truism is that every business that goes broke does so because they don't raise enough funds to pay their bills. Entrepreneurs who wrote to me also found it difficult to assemble a team of advisors and mentors they could bounce their ideas off and help them make the right decisions. Our emails found that entrepreneurs, when things get tough, found it extremely difficult to stay focused and tended to drift in order to generate quick money to keep the doors open. Another issue that really surprised me was entrepreneurs complaining to me just how many hours they have to work. A couple of weeks ago, I discussed the fact that in Silicon Valley, the most successful—start that again—the most successful entrepreneurial startup on earth, the average entrepreneur works a minimum of seventy hours a week. If you don't love what you're doing, and don't want to put in all of these hours, then you're not really an entrepreneur and you should give up now and go and find a job that works 40 hours a week. You know, being successful in business, take it from me, I've done it over and over again, it is bloody hard. So if you're not, in, you're not prepared to put in the hard yards, don't do it. Another issue that you told us about in your emails is working from home and finding that at five o'clock in the afternoon, you're still in your bathrobe. Without mixing with other business people, and without discussing issues with your peers, and without keeping up with all the new changes in technology, and without bounce, without somebody to bounce things off and have really meaningful discussions, your best friend becomes the ficus in the corner. You begin giving Christmas and birthday presents to your computer. And you and your printer are on first name terms. Pretty soon, you're going stark raving fucking nuts. When you're an entrepreneur, you need to have both a business and a personal life. And you need to delineate between the two. The final issue that entrepreneurs have that we we discussed last week is taking on a client project simply because right then and there, you needed the money. I've been there, done that, understand it. But in my experience, this will almost always become an issue that 
eats up your time and causes you a ton of grief. It is not in the best interests of you or your business. So you've got to resist the temptation if you can, struggle a little longer, but really try not to do it. So now a couple more issues that our listeners tell us are a challenge to them. I received an email that I think is relevant to a large number of entrepreneurs in startup businesses, certainly a hell of a lot of people that I've come across, and particularly if you haven't worked in the corporate world. There's a large difference between thinking like an entrepreneur and thinking like a business. And research has demonstrated over and over and over again that unless you can think and act like a real business concerned primarily with mundane things such as generating income more than you spend, minimizing your costs, maximizing the effectiveness of your marketing, staying rigidly on track, staying disciplined with the number of hours you work, constantly reviewing what you're doing, then you will fail. Jason Cogill of Maine wrote to me and said, after years of freelancing, comma, working in corporate jobs and starting businesses, I've learned the importance of thinking like a business and not as an entrepreneur. For example, you need to calculate all expenses, time and overhead, and then go about the difficult task of setting prices, evaluating the effectiveness of all marketing and advertising, carefully defining your primary target audience and regularly reviewing your performance. You need to access and leverage the wisdom, skills and experience of a real business. You must have an action plan of who you can lean on. Not if, but when you experience a drop in morale or the need for expertise that you don't have. I've learned how important it is to be highly disciplined in order to make a profit and be successful. Thanks, Jason. That was a great email. I think it's terrific advice that is not heeded by a great number of the entrepreneurs with whom I come in contact. Another issue that came up frequently from listeners is that when they started their business, they began a regular blog. They were really active on LinkedIn. They tweeted over and over and over again, and they really maximized social media, e-newsletters, and all of the other online opportunities. As they became more stressed time-wise and the tasks involved in running a business began to build up on them, their emphasis on marketing and social media really diminished. The problem is that this then really hurts income generation. Results only happen when you're consistent. It doesn't matter what it is. You can really stand out by being consistent because most people aren't. A large number of other entrepreneurs send emails throughout the year asking how to identify and understand their target market and how to determine the best way to create a marketing strategy to reach this market. If you're an entrepreneur and you're technically or product oriented, I understand how you would have difficulty creating a marketing strategy. 
Even marketing experts have difficulty determining the correct message in the marketing mix. When you're an entrepreneur and trying to build a business, this is not the time to try to learn the complex business of marketing on the run. You really need to engage an expert. Now, don't forget, this program is all about you, the entrepreneur or the small business person that is listening to this show, looking for tips on how to be more successful. This is what we are here for. This whole show is dedicated to assisting entrepreneurs. So if you have a topic that you would like us to discuss or an email with a specific question that you would like answered, please don't hesitate to send it to me, bob at bobpritchard.com, and we will answer it on air or email you directly. I'm Bob Pritchard, and after the break, I'm going to talk to my guest, a good friend of mine and one of the greatest advertising superstars in American history. We're trying to find a way to work together, and one of these days, we will do it. His name is Keith Chambers. He's a gem, and I'll be back with Keith in just a moment. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Do you want your business to achieve results you never thought possible? Bob Pritchard is recognized as the business leader's advisor and has 30 years of experience as a straight-talking troubleshooter for Fortune 500 companies and SMEs across the world. Whether you need a checkup across all departments of your business or simply want to improve marketing, advertising, performance measurement, or some other area, Bob Pritchard will work his magic so you can blow away your competition. Bob Pritchard is also one of the most in-demand speakers in the world. Over 1,500 clients on five continents and countless standing ovations are a testament to how he changes the fortunes of business. Pick up Bob's new book, Kick-Ass Business and Marketing Secrets, at your nearest bookstore or visit Bob's website at www.bobpritchard.com. Remember, if you want to be successful, call Bob Pritchard now. Worldwide phone numbers and more information can be found at bobpritchard.com. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Now, this is a segment of the show where we talk to the most successful people in their field right across the country. Today, it's my pleasure to talk to Keith Chambers, who's one of the leading exponents of the advertising and marketing business. I've got to say that I saw uh, Keith give a presentation at Metal, um, I guess several months ago now, and it was phenomenal. I mean, it's practical, sensible advice that works for absolutely everybody. The guy's a legend, and um, I think you'll find him very interesting. Now, Keith's the founder and president of the Chambers Group, and he believes that free enterprise is basically war. And if you don't believe this, you're likely to become one of its casualties. 
Keith's innovative techniques and successes have kept his clients from becoming casualties for over 30 years and have made him one of the nation's leading marketing consultants for Fortune 100 brands. Keith has driven marketing campaigns for more than 160 major companies such as Arm & Hammer, Coppertone, Clorox, General Mills, Dole, Frito-Lay and heaps and heaps more. Keith built up a successful design studio creating packaging for leading brands before expanding his services to include naming and positioning and has been growing his unbelievably successful marketing agency for over three decades. A turning point came in 1988 when Keith created the brand Sega Genesis and by its second year Sega Genesis was exceeding 500 million in sales. Now Keith brought originality to his marketing approach Rather than develop a marketing concept and measure the consumer response, Keith consults the consumer first and works backwards to make sure their needs are met. And if he's not busy enough, his proudest achievement is the relationship with his sons, Brandon and Eric. Together they've established Chambers Brothers Entertainment, which has developed a long list of shows, including Spike TV's The Ultimate Gamer. And they're currently in production on the first of two feature films, the first one, Cheech and Chong's Smokin' Animated Movie. Bloody hell, that's, that's a pretty good career when you look at it. Keith, welcome to the Bob Pritchard Show. It's great to thank catch you, up Bob. with you again. Well, thank you. I'm happy to be here. I love your show. You're a pretty busy guy. We are, you know, and you mentioned the Cheech and Chong uh, animated movie. We just uh, just signed the deal with uh, 20th Century Fox. They're going to distribute globally. Fantastic. That's great. So which is more fun? Advertising and marketing, or um, being a, making movies? Boy, what a great question! Well, movies is a little more fun because Brandon and Eric, my two sons, for the most part, manage the uh, you know the development and the, and the production of all of that of all of that work. So I just get to have the fun part of that one. When it comes <laughs> to the marketing, I get the headaches along with uh, with the glory. Right. I think I, I met your sons at Metal. I'm 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 sure. Um, yeah. Okay, so how do, how do you describe the kind of marketing that you do? Well, I, I've, I've set myself aside a little bit. Uh, as you know, I, you know, and I know you're the uh, master at this yourself, is that you know, if you want to be successful at anything, you've got to, you have to constantly set yourself aside from your competition. Absolutely. And how I did that uh, was that uh, back, in the, back in the early days, you know, I was what's you know what's pretty commonly referred to as a marketing consultant. So that means you develop marketing plans and business yeah. plans, and for the most part, you you could function in all the different you know varieties of things that your average product manager did. You could replace him in any of those areas. Yeah. And so you know, for the most part, generated you know a lot of paperwork, important paperwork, but it, nonetheless paperwork. Well, I not only do that, but then I consider myself a creative marketing consultant, and I distinguish that word creative essentially meaning that we also do the execution. So uh, a typical launch of some kind for us, like when we launched the Claritin Ready Caps, and we created the strategy to launch the Claritin Ready Caps, and then we also designed the packaging, the graphics, and all the words and so forth in order to carry it out. And that's the way it would look like, you know, for a consumer product of some kind, if it were, you know, it could also be, uh, you know, executed in a print ad or a TV commercial or whatever. Right. But that's how we sort of distinguish essentially what we do. So in the new marketing paradigm, what role does advertising play? 
Well, advertising, I find advertising interesting. It's sort of, you know, uh, it it carries a lot of glory with it. But at the same time, what I've discovered is that essentially, you know, two things have to be present in order to be successful. Now, there's a lot more to a marketing mix, but fundamentally, if you don't do these two things, you're not going to be successful. Number one is develop a really compelling sales message, a selling proposition. And number two, then, is to get... Uh, to get uh, the, an adequate number of exposures to your target consumer in order to be successful. Those two things must be present. That second thing, of course, incorporates advertising. And advertising, it could be advertising or, you know, what we generally refer to as promotion. In this day and age, that has become really quite complicated because, as you know, you know, the Internet and social marketing yeah. and so forth have really taken the advertising industry and turned it upside down. I have a good buddy who owns uh, an agency in New York, and uh, he he has asked me to you know to spend time sitting down with him to see if 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 I could be you know a vital component in the work that he and his group are doing toward trying to you know crack the code on how do you how do you how do you promote and how do you advertise products in an effective way on the internet this day and age. I think ultimately they'll probably be many ways that are developed, but at this moment, I don't think anybody's really cracked the code. Yeah, I, I gave a speech um, earlier today where uh, it's amazing how many people in the room are focusing, essentially saying, look, newspaper advertising and radio advertising doesn't get me any results, but I am getting good results from, from social media. So there has been a change, and, and people are cotting, cottoning onto it, but it's difficult. Yeah, I agree. So, so given this incredible track record of yours, what are the most important contributors to your personal success? What, what's, what's made you who you are today? We did, we did two things, Bob, and, and kind of going back here a little bit to that previous thing that I said, for the most part, you know, of those two functions that I mentioned in order to be successful, the one that we fulfill most commonly is, you know, developing that critical sales message or that selling proposition. About, I would guess, wow, maybe, maybe as long, maybe as far back as nine or ten years ago, we, we did one thing that really made a big difference, and that is, is that we, we deconstructed the selling proposition or the sales message somewhat in the same way that, you know, the, you know, the, the, the world's greatest scientists have deconstructed the atom, you know, yeah. in the, in, sure. you know, that whole, that whole, CERN Collider, the, you know, the large CERN yep. Collider, yep. Uh, that whole thing about breaking atoms apart and, and when you look at the pieces and then watching how the pieces interact with each other, well, we did the same thing. We took all that marketing terminology that all of our clients use, you know, over a period of time, you know, brands and sub-brands and generic descriptors and benefits and attributes and all those things, sure. and we kind of lined them up and we started looking at them that way. In other words, we, we broke the selling proposition apart and started looking at it and its bits and pieces on that component level. Sure. Then the second thing okay. that we did, which ultimately turned out to be of extraordinary value, is we developed a technology, an electronic technology, where we'll have 24 target consumers sitting in a room behind computers, and we have a very clever way of taking all of that broken down information and putting it back together or reassembling it into a powerful selling proposition using those target consumers. Okay. And that has that has propelled us, for the most part, ahead of our competition. It, it brings with it 
you know, other problems, you know, because for the most part, you know, you know how people are, and, and, and marketers are no exception to this. The marketing people that we work for who understand what we're doing, you know, are great clients. The yep. ones that we don't work for who don't understand that process or what we're doing uh, are not, you know, are not quick to, you know, necessarily quick to adapt to it. But that's, that's, that process has been what's accelerated our organization ahead. And that that also takes the um, you know one of the problems that I've always found with focus groups. Not that I believe in them much anymore, but I used to. Um, it, it, is people tend to dominate a focus group and dominate the discussions, and or even just through force of personality, even if they just because they sound authoritative, and people tend to follow them, and so you get a skew. Um, your your process sounds like it it um, eliminates that bias. Yeah, it it completely eliminates it, and and I, you know, I've run into an interesting thing around focus groups, Bob. I bet you have the you have as well, and that is is that 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 senior management has a tendency will have a tendency to tell you just before a project goes out the door uh, that let's say there's let's say there's one sort of an unanswered question. Now, let's say that the project has been researched. As, you know, as thoroughly as it could possibly be researched and we're ready to go. But senior management will say, let's just do another group and see what they think about the yada yada, which is just sort of like a new thing that just kind of came up or a new yeah. idea that just came up. And don't worry, we won't pay any attention. And of course, they do pay attention. They do, yeah. You know, do pay attention to that one bird, you know, who says something and the rest of them follow. So I, I'm, I'm kind of with you. I think uh, focus groups can be very dangerous. And I, one of the things I've noticed is that my clients have had a tendency more recently to use interviews as opposed to focus groups. Yeah. So you'll sit there all day long, you know, instead of being in one focus group or two focus groups, you'll sit there all day long. And it'll be one interview after another after another. And it's a one-on-one interview with the, you know, with the, the, your typical focus group moderator and then, you know, yeah. one respondent. She, well, just, before I get back onto Anna, what's the one ingredient in Keith Chambers that makes him successful? What's the one big driver in your life that gets you up in the morning and gets you to want to go out and kill him? Makes me want to go. So that one thing that kind of motivates, is that what you mean? Yeah. What drives you? Wow. Well, uh, you know, I, I've been in this business for a long period of time. Yeah. And somehow I've never got tired of winning. I'm sure you have the same experience. And winning kind of occurs on two levels. Winning occurs when someone gives you a really great assignment. Yeah. You know, I've gotten a couple of really great ones recently. Yeah. Uh, and that always makes you feel good because you know that, you know, that there's kind of, you know, there's con- there's a confidence level, you know, behind that, which was sure. the, you know, access to your being given the assignment. And then, of course, the other thing is, uh, you know, I mentioned this process. Uh, I, for years and years, the worst thing you could say to me if you were the client was that the research results are coming in tomorrow. Clearly, I would not sleep that night because I just hated research and I hated, you know, waiting for research results. That was the actually the motivating factor behind putting that process together that I described to you a few moments ago. And since having done that, since having you know, identified that process. I, I I sleep pretty well now when I know the research results are coming in because once we've done this process with these 24 target consumers, 
I have a really high level of confidence that it's going to score well in research, and we do it. We 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 literally score well every mm. time, and that's primarily because we've done we've worked this process. Sure. So. Yeah. When we score well in research, and then when it when it does well and it hits the shelf, that's that really you know those two things those are really very rewarding as well. Great. Is there one key secret to successful marketing? One Apart key from being secret. Bloody good at it. <laughs> uh, no, you know what I've discovered uh, is that you know over over a period of time. In fact, I just started to write a new book. I was speaking in Sri Lanka a couple of weeks ago and. Uh, and and I what I did is I structured the present I structured the speech such that that I that I when I started the speech I indicated that that there were a large number of of uh, of insights that I had developed over a period of time right. and that there were two in particular that I was going to put into this presentation and I went on and on and on now when we took the noon break. The organizers of the event came up to me and they said, "Well, how many are there? You know, are you you know are you getting are you getting them all in today and you know, so on and so forth?" And they were so interested in numbers, you know, and yeah. in, in, you know, and 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 actually that was one of the distinctions that we had was that we had discovered that metrics really you know have a tendency to be very powerful. If Absolutely. you can say. Yep. You know, twenty percent of this and ten percent of that, or one hundred percent of this, or whatever. Those, yep. Using those numbers seems to validate something. Anyway, long story short, uh, ultimately they said, "Well, how many are there?" And I said, "Well, there are twenty-four." And as it turns out, you know, I started writing another book, and the title of the book is going to be Twenty-Four. So there, there really are a lot of uh, a lot of them. And what's interesting, of course, is that is that you know, the, you know, no one or two seem to always. Always be, you know, that key, that one key thing. Uh, I, I would say there are a few that certainly show up a lot, and you know, uh, uh, one of them is one of them that seems to be missing in terms of almost every selling proposition that I encounter. You know, you and I could go through a supermarket and look at all the packages on the shelf, or we could yeah. drive down the street and look at all the, you know, presentations, the marketing presentations the, of storefronts, one after another after another. Yep. And we will we will not likely find what we refer to as a benefit anywhere in there. In other That's words, right. no one's talking about what's in it what's in it for the consumer. Yeah. It's always it always a laundry list of all of the features of the product yep. which are important of course, but they leave the consumer out of the sales message and quite frankly, you know, uh if you and I if we went to a party and we ran into somebody and all they did was talk about themselves you know, yep. all all evening long, you and I are gonna are not gonna have a good time at that party <laughs> because we're interested in ourselves, you know. Yeah, that's right. So so it's a lot to think about and that I would say that's probably the most common, but there certainly are a lot and like I said, we kind of identified or corralled twenty four over a period of time. We've got to you've got to make an emotional connection with your client or you're dead. Absolutely, and and that's exactly where it is. That's where it is. It's in it's in the benefit. Yeah. It's in the benefit. You know, uh, you know, there's a really great example, and I, I bet you're familiar with this. In the United States, there are two uh, there are two companies that are beating each other up over selling suits. Yep. And one of them is called the uh, three day three, three day, day suit broker. Yeah. Three day suit broker. Now, you know, what's the message with the three day suit broker? Well. There's, you know, because it's called a broker, I guess there's an inference that it's, it's a good price. And three days, I guess, means that's how quickly you get 
so so the selling proposition there is about getting a getting a good price in three days. That the yes. other guy is men's warehouse. Yeah. And you know um, who hasn't? If you've been in the United States for five minutes, you've heard. You know, uh, I think his name is George Zimmer. He's good too. I like him. He's, he just sounds so credible. He does the, the ads himself, and he sticks his head in. And you know, I think he's I think he's terrific. You know, he has an honest voice, very much like yours. I think oh, really? you're right. And he said, he, and what does he say? He says, you know, you're going to like the way you look. I yep. guarantee it. Yeah. Now, you know, if you know, if one of them's ten blocks to the left and the other is ten blocks to the right, I'm going to go where I like the way I look. That's for Me sure. Too. You know. So absolutely. Yeah. You know, and there's a, a huge lesson to be learned there. But I have to say, it goes it goes right over the heads of most people because when you're when you're organizing your message, uh, of, you know, of, of your selling proposition or your pitch, you're all it's always always your mind is always you know into yourself and talking about your product and you know or your service or whatever it is. It's about you. You're wanting to get it all in and you're wanting to get it organized properly and so forth. And of course, what happens is you just leave the customer completely out. Yeah. So. How many books have you written? I've only written one. I, I wrote I wrote a book uh, about about a year and a half ago. That's doing pretty well, doing really well electronically. Yeah. Uh, you know, and I, I, you know, I got a note from Amazon, uh, you know, but two months ago, indicating that eighty percent, a little over eighty percent of their books now that they sell are electronic, which I was just blown away by that. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, just one book. So, do you enjoy it? Uh, you know, I, I do. I think I, I think I can write books as long as they're stream of consciousness. You know, they just kind of flow out and you let them go. And yeah, I, was, made, I made the mistake with my last book of trying to improve it and improve it. It took me nine years to write Kickass, and so my publisher <laughs> came back and said, you know, would you write another book? And I thought, oh God, it's just such a chore, you know, because you're conscious. It is. You're conscious of the fact oh. that the people that are going to read it are your peers, and therefore, you know, you've got to be accurate, you've got to make sense, you've got to be practical and tell them something that they don't know. <laughs> and I find Absolutely. that unbelievably yeah, it hard. Is. It's a lot of work. It's a, it is a lot of work, and that's why I said, uh, you know, for me, if it's a stream of consciousness, if it just flows out of me, it, yeah. it'll work, because... I I had been you know my, my two sons had requested that I write a second book and I I was having the same experience that you were I was resisting it and then and then all of a sudden this whole thing happened in Sri Lanka and the number twenty four came up and I said well that's the title of the book and I'll just sit down and write it so I, so it turns out I went to Bali for the next couple of weeks and uh, spent a little time on the beach surfing and I wrote the first five chapters while I was sitting there it was very easy to do it just flowed right out how good is that make sure I get a copy absolutely now, what's the What's the difference between big corporate marketing and small business marketing? You know, it's a great question, and uh, and uh, and I hear that one frequently. Uh, and 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 part of my effort, well, actually, all of my effort on the book that I wrote, it's called Pull, was to repurpose everything that I've done for big corporations so that they're appropriate for you know small and medium sized businesses. My experience uh, up to this point in time, I'd be curious to hear your thoughts on it as well. Uh, are that uh, there is no difference. There is absolutely no difference in terms of the insights and the distinctions and what works and what doesn't work. You know, the only difference is the magnitude of the sales volume. Other than that, you know, the, you know what we just discussed relative to uh, people. You know, people not using benefits. 
that, that uh, I don't think it matters what it is you're selling or who you're selling it to or how big or small you are. And my feeling is is that all of the, all the other 20 of the insights that I've developed over time have the exact same, you know, uh, have the exact same impact on both. There is one difference, which is an interesting one. Uh, and what this one is is that is that there's almost almost no marketing expertise in small companies. Yeah, exactly. And the reason for it, I think the reason for it, uh, can it, it just goes back to college. You know, people go to colleges and universities and they get degrees in marketing and they graduate and they make, you know, fill out resumes and where do they go? They go to corporate America and yeah. they go, I mean, they get corporate jobs all over the world. And none of them go to, you know, a guy who owns a small supermarket chain in Des Moines, Iowa, or, you know, a chain of 10 bookstores in, you know, in Cincinnati. Or, you know, they just don't go, though, to those places. So those people, they'll have people who work for them who have a marketing title, and those those people don't really have much of a marketing background. And so... So the the fundamental, the most fundamental of marketing principles, which uh, one would think uh, you know exist sort of just you know pretty much intuitively anywhere, are are actually missing in small businesses. They're just gone. They're not even there. In fact, I think if you ask, if you walk into you know, I have I have a friend who owns four dry cleaning stores, and if you walk in and ask Steve to, to tell you what marketing is, he would. He would think he would he would stumble. He wouldn't be able yeah. to tell you what marketing is. Yeah, just wouldn't be able to. So okay. that's the bit to me. That's the only difference is is there's no marketing, you know, no marketing talent to speak of in small, medium-sized companies. It's interesting that um, you know I, I gave a presentation earlier and I was talking about the fact that 98 percent of all businesses go broke, and 72 percent of those go broke because not because they haven't got a great product or because they haven't got the funds. The reason they go broke is because of fundamental business and marketing principles. They don't wake up in the morning and say, today I've got to sell somebody something. Um, I used to work for a multi-millionaire for a number of years, multi-billionaire actually, for a number of years, and at the end of each day we used to have to write down what I did today that actually made the company a dollar. And it's really eye-opening because you sit there and you say, I got in early at 7.30, I've worked my butt off all day, I've been really frantically busy. Now, what did you do that actually made a dollar? Um, let me think about this for a minute. And it's, it, it's amazing <laughs> how few people concentrate on marketing and selling. They concentrate yeah. on all the other stuff. Um, uh, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. Yeah. So right. have you um, discovered any unusual marketing insights? Well, uh, you know, uh, out of those 24 that I mentioned, uh, there are definitely some that I think are unusual or out of left field and just kind of showed up, particularly uh, given that, you know, I developed this process of, you know, deconstructing the selling proposition and then sort of watching what happens with all these bits and pieces as we expose them to target consumers. There are two that come to mind. One of them is gender, and I think... This one is completely undiscovered. I don't think there's, I don't think there's a graduate marketing school on the planet that even knows about this. And I'll share it with you. Uh, what, what it is is that what we discovered, what we discovered is that 
And you know, and you know, of course, that women, you know, are responsible for you know eighty percent of the purchases of you know all the you know the consumer goods and services that are out there. And this and this is working with women. I know I mentioned that because it is a, it has a gender nature to it. But uh, what we discovered is is that there is a gender to all all communication images, and and it could be in any category you could think of, and it could be in um, it could be in cat litter, and it could be in dry cleaning stores, and it could be in liquor stores. There is a gender. Yep. And. And and you can expose that sales message, if you will, that selling proposition, to target consumers, and they can they can score what they think the gender is. And we developed a gender scale with a zero in the center, which would be say neutrally gendered, yep. and then a one, two, three out to the right, and that was masculine, and a one, two, three to the left, and that's feminine. Yep. And so what we started doing is we started. Asking, you know, we started getting these target consumers to tell us, you know, image A, B, C, D, or E. And let's say that that A, B, C, D, and E were across, and this is an actual case, a laundry detergent, which we launched a few months back. Yep. So let's say there are five different images for that laundry detergent. And what we, what we did, what we discover is that, yeah, some of these are a little on the feminine side and some a little more on the masculine side. So what we also did was we had a, a completely different exercise, Bob. That that on over the over the similar scale, what it did was it it asked the same target consumer to identify maximum performance performance. Right. Okay. Yep. And what we discovered what we discovered was that there was this perfect place on the gender scale. Uh, for maximum performance. Correct. And where it was, it was if the zero is in the center and if the one, two, three out to the right are masculine, it's just to the right-hand side of the one on the masculine scale. So what they're telling us, what they're telling us is that, is that if, is that they're using gender to, to read the product performance. So, so if you're if you had a, a laundry detergent that let's say had a sort of a, a feminine image, yes, it's going that feminine image is going to be interpreted as low performance, low product performance, wow. and that's the last thing in the world you want if you're Absolutely. out there trying to, yeah, if you're yeah. out there trying to compete with Tide. So it's very interesting to us to have discovered that, and we, it's only yeah. very only very recently, you know, that we did. Yeah, that, that, that's fantastic. Um, Keith, it's been great speaking with you. Um, one of the uh, reasons that in this week's show we've only got just the one interview instead of our normal two is because I believe that Keith brings so much to the table and it is critical that we improve our marketing performance right across the board and it's critical that we have marketing messages that actually compel people to buy things and so um, Keith, I saw Keith speak as I mentioned and he was fantastic and he got across a lot of fantastic messages that are of benefit to all of us so thanks very much mate it's been great speaking with you I hope I see you again at Metal soon thank you Bob I, I had a great time and uh, let's work together sometime I'd I love would to love do to that. I would love to. Now, if you'd like to know more about Keith and the Chambers Group, go to www.chambersgroup.com. It's a good website. 
and it shows you how to um, not only engage the advertising side of the business but also to get um, Keith as a speaker and uh, he is a great speaker. So I'll be back with more of the Bob Pritchard Radio Show after this short message. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Do you want your business to achieve results you never thought possible? Bob Pritchard is recognized as the business leader's advisor and has 30 years of experience as a straight-talking troubleshooter for Fortune 500 companies and SMEs across the world. Whether you need a checkup across all departments of your business or simply want to improve marketing, advertising, performance measurement, or some other area, Bob Pritchard will work his magic so you can blow away your competition. Bob Pritchard is also one of the most in-demand speakers in the world. Over 1,500 clients on five continents and countless standing ovations are a testament to how he changes the fortunes of business. Pick up Bob's new book, Kick-Ass Business and Marketing Secrets, at your nearest bookstore or visit Bob's website at www.bobpritchard.com. Remember, if you want to be successful, call Bob Pritchard now. Worldwide phone numbers and more information can be found at bobpritchard.com. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Straight Talking No Bullshit Business Show. And we're coming to you this week from my hometown of Los Angeles. Now, this is the place to come when you need a checkup from the neck up. This is the place. And this is a segment where I answer your emails. And because we get emails from all over the world, I try to answer at least one email from outside the United States each week. This segment is overwhelmingly popular because no matter where in the world you're listening, it applies equally to you, irrespective of what business you're in. My first email today is from Alan Jensen from Baltimore, Maryland. And Alan writes, Dear Bob, thanks for a great program. I really enjoy it. I've also bought Kick-Ass Business and Marketing Secrets as an audio book. Terrific. Fantastic. There's so much great information in it. It is just so much to take in. I appreciate that. Bob, when I was working in a mid-sized corporation, I always had a staff of very smart people who understood who it worked, how it worked, and who I could both in an organised way in a meeting and also in a casual fashion, bounce ideas off, have brainstorm sessions, discuss the results of marketing and advertising campaigns and and it always meant that we had a great perspective on everything we did. We had weekly staff meetings where we discussed every aspect of the business and everyone was motivated and energised. We also had a lot of fun and could blow off steam. There was no such thing as a bad idea, and often the really out there ideas opened up a whole new way of seeing an issue. Now there's just two of us working in a startup, and I really miss the input of ideas, the vigorous discussion, and the energy of it all. I just have a feeling that this affects the quality of our decision making and the energy which drives the passion. 
Bob, how can I overcome this problem? Dear Alan, I'm not sure that it is a problem, but it, it's certainly a common challenge. You need to surround yourself with mentors, with various skills. You can't think you know everything. You should join a local CEO group where you mix with a number of other people who are also running their own businesses and inviting local business people to come to your office. Discuss issues that can rep- they replace the old corporate meetings you used to have. It might also be worthwhile to move your workplace to an incubator where you're sharing space with a number of other people who have got the same issues and you can help each other, assist with the project and give you a different perspective on things. It's really critical that you maintain a very strong relationship with thoughtful business people outside you and your partner or you will stagnate, you will miss opportunities and you'll most likely fail. Um, you know, I'm a sole practitioner, really. I've got my people around me who help me um, with with uh, marketing projects and with the radio show and all of that. But um, today, for example, I had a meeting with two colleagues um, and uh, one of them who was a, is a member of the metal group that I, I talk about often. And we had a fantastic meeting for a couple of hours discussing ideas and tossing things around. And all three of us left there invigorated, very positive, just set a meeting for early January. And um, you need that to be able to continue to fire um, on all fours. So, Alan, I hope you enjoy the audio book. There's a lot of critical information in it. And um, my second email today is from Adrian Morgan of Fort Wayne, Indiana. Dear Bob, I listened to your program last week and I certainly fall into the category of being run off my feet trying to do everything that I can to keep my small business afloat. I think you were spot on when you said that we can't be good at everything. This means I spend much more time doing things than a professional would. I guess what, you, what, what you're trying to tell me is that something that a professional would do in 15 minutes, it takes you an hour. I guess that's what you mean. This And... Of course, the results aren't as good as you'd get with a professional either. The problem when you're running your own business is that you really can't afford to make mistakes. But I also don't have a lot of money to go hiring people either as employees or as consultants. What ideas can you give me? Well, Adrian, sometimes you have to bite the bullet and hire somebody, and particularly in marketing. I mean, it... Accounting is one of those things that probably doesn't take that much time if you've got a system, and there's a number of other areas that don't take much time if you've got a system, but marketing takes a lot of time. To do it properly, it takes a lot of time. So the second you can afford to hire a good marketing person, and it's got to be a good marketing person, no use hiring somebody that doesn't have real-world experience because it'll, it'll bite you in the ass. And as you realize, you know, your biggest challenge is that you can't be good at everything. And more importantly, you don't have time to do everything, even if you were good at it. I've spent a lot of time in marketing, sports, and you know, even superstar champions have a number of coaches and advisors. If somebody who's the best in the world still needs advisors, then you certainly do too. As I said in the response to Adam, the key is to build a team of people around you who share your passion and your vision for the business. Often that might be somebody who's already done what you're trying to do or at least worked in the same space 
and can give you tips on contacts, the attitudes of potential clients, and give you a shortcut rather than you having to learn all the lessons the hard way. Another way is to form a board of directors or a board of advisors who you meet with regularly and not only can give you advice, but have the best interests of the company at heart. Adrian, we'll send you out a copy of my new book, Kick-Ass Business and Marketing Secrets, How to Blitz Your Competition, which is available at all good bookstores and at Amazon. Now, if you're a regular listener to the show and are benefiting from the advice that my guests, such as Keith and I, give you each week, please tell your friends to listen. Go to my website at bobpritchard.com and subscribe to my monthly newsletter. Now, next week's show is on Christmas Day, so I suspect many of you would prefer to spend time with your families eating turkey and Christmas pudding rather than listen to me. I don't blame you. Now, this week's events in Newtown in Connecticut have driven home to us just how important it is to enjoy every minute that we can with our kids and our family. So on behalf of all the team at Bob Pritchard Radio Show and at Voice America, there's a great team at Voice America, um, we want to wish all of you a wonderful holiday season. Next week, we're running one of our favourite shows from during the year while I get together with my family and enjoy just how precious they are. Now, if you're like me and believe that there needs to be real restrictions put on guns that we can own in this country, not speaking from a political perspective at all, but taking simply a moral stance. This can't go on. We can't keep killing our kids. I urge you, contact your congressman or your senator. Don't buy from people who advocate guns and demand that we begin to undertake dialogue so that we can find a solution to the dreadful gun violence that is such a scourge on our country. This is Bob Pritchard. Now, I'm going to be with you again at the same time next week. So send in your questions. Email me at bob at bobpritchard.com. Follow me on Twitter, Facebook, Google+. Become my friend on LinkedIn. And I'll be with you at the same time next week. No matter where you are in the world, we're going to address more critical issues that affect small business. And I hope you all have a fantastic Christmas. Good night from Bob Pritchard. You've been listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Please join us again next Tuesday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Until then, enjoy another week of success in your business and your life.